0: The Artificial Intelligence Podcast, AI in real life. So
1: I'm one of those terribly uncoordinated people. Ever since I can remember, I've been coming home with bruises and weird places without memory of how I got them. The other day, I went grocery shopping and walked into a pillar, which went from the floor to the ceiling of the building and was painted solid black. Then I went home and slammed the door of my own house into my face as I opened it. And then as I was opening one of my lower kitchen cupboards, I hit my head on the counter. That last one was pretty painful actually. I know what you're thinking right now, but unfortunately I was completely sober when all of this happened. I guess I just need help at life. Enter Manuela Rosthofer, CEO and founder of TerraLoop, who's here to save me from further embarrassment. We met at the World Summit AI, a gathering of the biggest minds in AI right now, organized by Inspired Minds and sponsored by Microsoft. TerraLoop's technology takes images from all kinds of sources and interprets the objects on them. Like, this is a sidewalk, and you should walk on it. Or this is a wall, and you cannot go through it. Or this is mud, and you will slip if you step in it. Very useful for someone like me, you can probably imagine. But it will also open up possibilities for all of us.
2: Our company is called TerraLoop. We are an AI startup. And what we are doing is we digitize the environment um, using aerial imagery. Um, So that means that we try to um, find all kind of objects um, within everybody knows Google Maps so I would say with Google mm-hmm, Maps mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine if you have a look at Google Maps you can see so many things like houses roads and um, of course you have that for whole countries and continents Yeah. Um, but if you have to analyze that manually it's really complex because um, imagine you have to count all houses in a city and then you have to count that for a whole country Yeah. difficult and yeah. we do that automized with aerial images with artificial intelligence so um, it's not only Google there are so many companies out there like of course all satellite imagery providers but as well aerial imagery providers that have the imagery of continents like europe or us Um, and we do a partnership with them and um, analyze that for customers so what are the, the key problems that you're solving with your technology Um, key problem is that right now information is not available. So digital information is not available. If you want to know how many houses um, there are or how many kilometers of road, you have to estimate you have to guess. But with our technology, you really know that. Um, Right now we work for um, all kind of industries and we try to divide the environment in four big blocks because the whole environment is a little bit much. (laughs) So four big blocks means um, first everything around buildings Um, so we work here for insurance industry Second is automotive, and this is our core focus because, of course, you need as an autonomous car you need all the information there. Where is the road? Where is the street sign? And then infrastructure, and, and the fourth one is agriculture and forestry. So, what's the role you play in that ecosystem? We want to be a deliver to HD maps, um, so to the today existing companies that are producing HD maps, because there are a lot of lacks and information is missing. Um, Because it's collected from the terrestrial point of view and we give more information because we collect the information from the aerial point of view. Mm, So you see more. Exactly. We can see more or other things. Of course, we have also problems, for example, we can't see within a tunnel because it's not visible. But everything that is visible, for example, if you're flying across a a city, um, you can see behind parked cars um, is a bicycle lane. And this is what you can't see from the terrestrial data set. But with that aerial, we can deliver that. So we believe that for autonomous driving, safety is most important. Safety means that you have a lot of sources and a lot of information available. Sensors in the car can deliver the information or oh, this is a bicycle driver or there's a pedestrian walking. Um, if it's raining or if you have snow, um, you have problems there. So this is why especially for the fixed objects like bicycle lanes um, or for street signs themselves you need a very high accurate detailed map. Um, or if there is a building area or is it just a wall that is coming up or is it a complete house so are mm. a lot of information in important. And we believe that if you combine the three levels of data, so sensors, terrestrial data set and aerial data set, you can have a really complete map.
1: Okay, so let's let's talk about the technology that you use behind that. So say you want to map all the houses in Amsterdam or in the Netherlands or in Europe. How do you start? How do you do that? So first of
2: all, um, you have to have the imagery, of course, <laughs> otherwise you can't um, work with something. Um, and you choose the type of resolution of the imagery depending on the objects let's talk about houses you can do that with satellite imagery or with aerial imagery and then of course you have to do the training um, so training means you have to teach the system what you want to detect and then from there you can go and um, have the information that So you give the system the right answers Yes so um, AI ver- so we do uh, deep learning algorithms um, means semantic segmentation um, so pixel wise pattern recognition there and mm-hmm. um, So you have to teach the system what is the pattern you're looking for. So take houses. So you have to take the roof outline um, and make that between 10,000 and 100,000 times because you have to teach the system.
1: Right. So you need about between 10,000 and 100,000 labeled data to train a single object. Exactly. So if you were to move from houses to, say, roads, then you would have to do that again.
2: Yes, exactly. For each object, you have to train first and you have a ground truth system where you can understand how good your detector
1: is already and then you have a retraining phase if something is missing. And does your algorithm also get better as you teach it more different objects? So I can imagine if you've taught it houses, you've taught it rows, is it easier than to teach it trees? Um, Yes, because you can
2: bring that into connection because you know this is not a tree or this is not a house, then it has to be
1: something else. So yes, definitely that helps. Right, so there's definitely a network work in a scale effect yes how scalable would you say you are because we know from from image recognition it tends to be very specific
2: um i think we are very scalable because um if you have um, a trained object you can reuse at least reuse the existing trained network for example if you talk about houses in europe um, for houses in the u.s so you have just to do a retraining phase there It depends on the resolution itself. Of course, if you have 30 centimeter resolution within images, um, it's completely something else than if you have a three centimeter resolution. And there it's more difficult and you have to do training in both uh, imagery resolution types. So then each one of them is 10,000 to 100,000. But for a specialized labeling company, it's not much. You can do that
1: within days. Okay. So training the algorithm is a big part of it. What's the self-learning part of it? The self-learning part is, it's not really learning
2: itself. Um, it's more, of course, we have to train it. And then um, you have to correct the information, the output. Um, and then, you, of course, there is a loop back to, um, to to the input. And, of course, with that, it learns again
1: and gets better and better. So that's the loop. So instead of teaching it, what a tree is by describing every possible image yeah. of a tree, you show it ten thousand images of a tree and it starts to learn the patterns behind that itself. Um yeah there are different methods. So yes we, we tried different type of methods.
2: Um the most effective and fastest way is that um you really get do a label first. So you really really mark for example the tree or a, a horse, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then you go from there to uh, you. To, you get results, and you you train it ten thousand to one hundred thousand times, and um, you get results. Also, of, um, false positives and, and negatives, and um, you t- you take that
1: again for as the training uh, tool. Say, you have a child mm-hmm. who you're trying to teach mm-hmm. to recognize horses. So, then you would show this child 10,000 pictures of horses and say, this is a horse, right? Mm-hmm. That's step one. Then step two is asking it to identify horses in the real world. And then this child will sometimes identify a tree as a horse, which is a false positive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it will identify a horse as a tree, which is a false negative. Mm-hmm. And then you teach this child, you know, the mistakes, And that's how how she gets better. Yeah, exactly. But
2: this is exactly what we are doing as well. So exactly that. You explained so perfect, I can't explain it better. (laughs) What's the end game for you? In the end, we would love to have a really digitized environment so that you have everything you can see out there is in a digital version um, so that you really can... Have a search, a geo search engine. That's it, what we would love to have, because then you can combine all other information that is out there with that in digital information. For example, if you know exactly how many houses are available in a city, how many volume you have, you can analyze how many inhabitants could live in that city, um, but how many maybe live there, and where do you have a lack of infrastructure, and um, for example of public transportation, because there are too many people and have a no bus stop in front of or next to their houses. So, you can plan everything then with that digital information. And this is what we really want to
1: achieve as a digital society there. And then, that application is way broader than just mobility. Like, what else could you use it for? Um, So
2: right now, um, we worked already also in the insurance sector. Um, Of course, you need to know um, if you want to insure your building, you need to know what is the size of your building, how many floors do you have, all that type of information. Um, Damaged houses, so detect what is damaged within that house, for example, at the roof after a storm. Um, What kind of risk do you have if a tree is next to that house or how close is the tree to that house? Um, But the same information then for railways. So um, where is my railway network? Where do I have my signals? Where do I have noise walls? Are there enough noise walls to protect my um, people living next to that railway um, network? But as well, of course, in
1: agriculture and forestry, you can imagine there is a ton of information as well necessary. Yeah. So when we think about insurance, for instance, that's an industry that typically works with models that are years old, that have experts that they've worked with for, you know, since the start of the company, how do they react to your technology and your products? It depends. we can deliver
2: just more information. Um, And there are some customers, they are really interested in bringing forward technology. And there are customers that don't like that so much. Um, Especially in the insurance industry, um, people love to have more information. But, of course, they have to consume it. So they have to find ways
1: how they can work with that information. And this is a lot. It's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) So you bring that information, but I guess at this stage, they don't even know what to do with it. Exactly. So we have to bring as well use cases with it. We have to bring business plans and
2: models with it how much they can save and um, how fast they can be um, how important it could be
1: um, to have a more competitive information knowledge base you're collecting so much data you're labeling so much data what else did you learn from your algorithm and your data sets that you, you weren't looking for, didn't expect?
2: It's very interesting
1: because um,
2: the system is teaching us that as a human being we divide, for example, objects in so many different classes where we not even think about it. For example, we detected swimming pools, fixed swimming pools. And of course, you can imagine that the system as well detected um, bigger swimming pools from where you go in the summer and enjoy your life, that's mm-hmm. fine. But also um, for the, uh, oh, I don't know the English word for Kleranlag, it's the German word, so where you have to um, get the water cleaned after um, for the city, you know. Okay. So those are not for swimming. No, those are not for swimming, exactly. And the problem there is, um, but the the system is right. There are also well pools, there is also water in it, it's fixed, so the system was right, but we realized, okay, we have to define that as not a swimming pool. So you learn a lot of things, how how we as human beings act and react, and um, what the system works with. It teaches you also how we as humans make decisions in a more explicit way. Yes, and how wonderful our brain works and that it will take years, probably centuries, to be at that point.
1: (laughs) So the example of the swimming pools and the cleaning lakes, for instance, I guess that shows us how important it is to label the data correctly and to make sure you don't have a human bias or anything in it. Right. So that's most important is that you have
2: very accurate labels and the teaching system that uh, in the definition of what is that object like. For example, one other very good example where I, f- I never thought it's a problem is um, a road. Um, the end of a road, the road edge where you have the paved area ends. I thought it's very clear where you have a road and where you don't have a road. Mm. Um, but when we trained, we learned that there's grass sometimes over that edge or gravel or small stones. Where is is then the end of that road and so all these small things um, have to be taken into account when you label and when you work with that and so this is where we have to train also our own team to really be careful with that because otherwise the results are not that good and to be very informal bullshit in bullshit out <laughs> how do you know when you're right or right enough you have to have ground truth all the time. So you really have to compare versus your human being definition objects. And there's the next thing. You never reach 100% because as a human being, you can't also not, or you will never reach 100%. Um, So you're always a bit less good than human beings. Is it ever going to be better than human beings? Um, There are a lot of interesting uh, researchers out there working on that, but right now I would say no.
1: In the end, it's still our own human definition of right and wrong that will define artificial intelligence. Manuela Rastover, CEO of TerraLoop.
0: The OG AI. Where did the robot come from? In the 1920s novel R.U.R., Rossum's Universal Robots, we're introduced to robots. Czech writer Karol Capek derived that name, the word, from the Czech word *robota*, which means labor or forced labor. The book tells about a factory owner who wants to automate as much labor as possible and creates artificial people to do so. Robots. From Capek's robots, we got the word robotics which was introduced by the godfather of AI robot storytelling, Isaac Asimov, in 1941. Because of robotics, a robot isn't necessarily the same as a moving mechanical device made in imitation of a human being anymore. What the definition of an automaton is, or as we call it now, an android. For
1: the safety of humanity, I stopped driving five years ago. But with advancements like Manuela's, driving can become safer for all of us and accelerate the way to a world without any human drivers at all. Follow me for more at bnr.nl slash AI podcast or on your favorite podcast app.